Well, good evening and welcome to our time of study tonight. And uh, I am taking a break this evening from the book of Romans. And do forgive me for that. We will, God willing, be back in Romans chapter 15 uh, next week. But just as the events of this week have unfolded, and particularly around an event yesterday, uh, uh, a webinar that uh, was hosted with regarding statements of faith in the Baptist Union, I really have been uh, stirred and prompted and urged uh, to say something tonight. For us as a church to consider uh, this matter of statements of faith. But before we get to that, let me pray. Let me commit this time to you, uh, to God and uh, to you and and myself also uh, to him as we come together. Lord, we do want to honor you in all matters of life and and doctrine. And even as we gather together tonight, Lord, we know that we are constantly in need of uh, being taught. We constantly need, Lord, to spend time hiding your word in our hearts. And we thank you again tonight for the revelation that you have given, that you preserved, that your Holy Spirit left for us so that we may know your mind in matters of faith and godliness. And so, Lord, be with us tonight. Help us think through this issue. Pray that we would even be open as we share together as a local church on these matters of uh, statements of faith and doctrinal precision. And so committing this time to you, uh, Lord, we need you. I think I need you. Each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought I would begin just by uh, reading one scripture, many, many scriptures one could read uh, in a context like this. And I am going to be touching on some scriptures as we move through uh, this session tonight as well. But I can't help uh, focusing and keeping this particular verse from 1 Timothy chapter 4 in my mind, verse uh, 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now you may be wondering why I would deal with a particular issue like this. And uh, I do think it's important that as a church family, we are on the same page, that we are thinking through matters of controversy and, and difficulty, uh, where there are challenges that we go back to the Bible and, and we reach conclusions that we believe are honoring to God and edifying to the church. And so just to give you a little bit of background, if you're not aware of this, uh, perhaps some of you are, some of you aren't, but for a few years now, uh, tensions, that's a terrible thing uh, to be present in and amongst professing believers. But it is true to say that within our Baptist Union family, there have been tensions. And the tensions have largely arisen Uh, due to the fact that there are different views regarding the value of doctrinal definition and precision. So there are those, and there's a particular group in the denomination, in the Union of Churches, those who, who believe very strongly that a lowest common denominator approach is best. And the thinking is, well, let's not define ourselves 
too precisely so that we can have a broader reach. So instead of reaching 50 churches for argument's sake, uh, more people will sign up, more people will, will join us, and, and we can reach 75 churches or 100 churches because, because the, there's a lowest uh, common belief required. More people will therefore adhere to a particular statement of faith. It really hinges on the fact that uh, of accommodation. Accommodating huge differences within the Baptist Union of Churches. And at the moment, the truth of the matter is that there are huge differences between one Baptist church and another. If you're ever on holiday and you, you do go to a particular Baptist church, you might find a church similar to Central Baptist Church, but you might walk into a church that will shock you and see that things are very, very different. And, and so there's this group that advocates a width, a huge width that there ought to be in the Association of Baptist Churches. That's on the one side uh, of, of the coin. And of course, that sounds commendable. It sounds plausible. But the question we need to ask ourselves, is that the best thing to do? Well, there are others, and I would be among those who believe that some theological definition and precision is necessary. And I want to say at this particular point, <coughs> it is not that there is an advocating of, of something that is so narrow that it excludes most. It really is focusing on uh, doctrinal precision on those things that are essential, those things that are primary regarding uh, our faith, regarding God, regarding our salvation, and even who we are, and a number of other things as well. So what has transpired over the years, there has been this tug of war that uh, has been very evident at each of the annual assemblies, and uh, two groups have been uh, raging in this tug of war and sadly sadly uh, there's no current solution in view we at central recently adopted a revised and expanded statement of faith i'm sure you will remember that at a recent church meeting the statement of faith we adopted has become known as the 2017 statement of faith baptist union uh, has in its constitution at moment at the moment something a statement of faith known as the uh, a 1924 statement of faith very short and uh, we have in fact made the information available uh, to our members where you can actually see the difference between the old uh, or the existing Baptist Union 1924 statement and the current uh, statement of faith that we adopted as the 27 statement of faith. Well, the 27th Statement of Faith came about uh, through the efforts of a group of many pastors around the country who sought to compile identified areas of essential belief, seeking in all these instances to be faithful to the Scriptures, using a responsible method of interpretation, and seeking to be relevant, both in expression, the language that it was written in, and also seeking to address issues that we currently face. Life and the world in 1924 was very different to life and the world that we live in in 2021. So that much as an introduction. 
So let me uh, put in a qualifier. Uh, this is not an academic treatise tonight. This is me speaking to the Central Baptist Church members uh, in response to what is currently unfolding in our Baptist Union context. And so I've just sat down today uh, at my computer and I've uh, tried to compile uh, an argument uh, to show the importance of doctrinal uh, definition and even representing that in a statement of faith. And so to begin with, my first uh, question, my first comment, and, and I don't have slides tonight. I literally finished doing this at 6.30 tonight, so no slides, no PowerPoint, uh, no questions. You're going to need to take notes and, and have the discussion on the basis of what you hear. Well, my first question is, what is a statement of faith? My definition, uh, it's a concise summary of essential, and we can use other words, a primary, a fundamental would be another word, clearly revealed biblical truths on, that a particular group of believers agree to, submit to, and teach. That's a simple definition. Again, it's not an academic uh, one that I've taken off the internet. It's just my own understanding. There are various existing statements of faith that are quite well known. If you are familiar with the Anglican Church or the Church of England, they have what they call the 39 Articles of Faith. If you are a Presbyterian, well, you're not a Presbyterian. If you know any Presbyterians, you will know, of course, that they have what is called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And even we Baptists, way back in the 17th century, uh, there was a compiled uh, statement of faith known as the 1689 uh, Statement of Faith. And we have in the Baptist Union, as I've mentioned, the 1924 Statement of Faith. And so that's my first point. What is it? What is a, a statement of faith? Well, it's a summary of these essential, fundamental, primary, crucial truths that are central to our faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, what is a statement of faith? Well, we need to see a statement of faith as an identity document. It is a document, uh, a list of beliefs that describe what a particular group or what a particular person believes and stands for. This is who we are as the Central Baptist Church. This is who we are as the Baptist Union of South Africa. Or this is who we are as the Mormon Tabernacle. So, so groups of religious people, groups of, of Christian people, and across the board in different religions, I'm, I'm imagining, will have some sort of identity document. And as an identity document, it unites believers it brings believers together, those who are like-minded, those who are similarly persuaded, those who are convicted along uh, similar lines. Now, just to go back and understand uh, something of the history, and I won't go into much history at all, but simply tell you that historically, statements of faith and doctrinal definition emerged in contexts of controversy. So in the first century already, there were those who stood up and said, but hang on, we don't agree with that teaching. 
or we don't agree with this particular teaching. And there would be a gathering together, and we do see that in the book of Acts, and conclusions are reached uh, regarding a particular controversy, a particular challenge, or a particular difference that has arisen in a context. And that happened repeatedly, repeatedly, and, and will continue to happen even until the Lord comes. People have challenged uh, questions on who is Jesus? Is he a man? Is he God? Was he flesh and blood or was he just a phantom spirit? The, the, these are questions that have needed to be resolved down through the years. The motive, and intention, the motive and intention of men and women down through the ages has always been to resolve and to define, crisply define, to the best of the ability, from what God has revealed. And I'm speaking about those who are in a biblical, biblical and, and orthodox uh, tradition. So it's an identity document. It helps us know who we are. It helps those people who want to join us to know, do I want to associate with this group? Or are, are, are they very different to what I believe and agree to? I need to add in the third place that statements of faith are not equal to Scripture. We know that Scripture uh, is the product of divine inspiration. All Scripture is God-breathed. Wonderful, wonderful verse uh, given to us. Uh, statements of faith do not fall into that category. Statements of faith are the result of men studying and interpreting the Bible so as to reach conclusions as to what the Bible teaches on a particular subject. What does the Bible teach holistically and comprehensively on the subject of creation? On who man is? Or who God is? And, and there are lists and lists of, of, of doctrines, and, and they've been compiled in, in books today. We call them either systematic theologies or even uh, more recently uh, uh, become more popular biblical theologies. But there's a, a compilation of what does the Bible teach regarding a particular subject and then crystallizing those particular issues that cannot be compromised on in a particular uh, group and setting of people. Therefore, because it's not equal to Scripture, statements of faith are subject to revision. We can change them if we believe we've been in error, if we've made a mistake, if we've done more studies, or we need to add to the statement of faith because the world we live in demands it, because there's a particular issue that has arisen. And we change it, we add to it. Always seeking to be faithful to the revealed word of God. Number four. The detail in a statement of faith may vary depending on the purpose of those gathering around the statement of faith. So it's not the same statement of faith all the time. Let me give you an example. We Baptists include believers' baptism by immersion in our statement of faith, whereas Presbyterians include their stand on infant baptism. So there's difference. You'll find differences in other areas as well. However, it would be altogether feasible to have a statement of faith and that, is, that has less content that unites Baptists and Presbyterians in a particular cause. 
So we may stand together, for example, on issues of religious freedom. When that has been threatened in, 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 in a particular country or in a particular government, we would want to hold hands with, with other groups of Christians, other churches. And, and so we, we could formulate a statement of faith that applies and is suitable to that particular context and purpose. But when we get to the local church, and this is the, uh, the smaller group that we are working with and partnering together, we need to have a, a concise but, but clear statement of faith so that controversy doesn't emerge unnecessarily in the church. In the Baptist Union, again, it, there needs to be a, a, a level of, of profession and conviction that identifies us with clarity. Who are we? Who are we working with in this particular context? We can agree to differ with the Presbyterians, but we can respect each other's position. We don't need to pretend that there are no differences, because there are. However, it's unlikely, even though we respect each other, even though we may work together in certain projects, it's unlikely that we plant a church together. Well, let me move on to a second category. Why do we need a statement of faith? Now, this is the biggest issue that baffles me in our Baptist Union, that pastors and churches and leaders, why do we need a statement of faith? Well, Satan is the father of lies. I preached a sermon just recently in that regard. False teaching and error is his business. That's what he does aggressively. Heresies will constantly emerge. Cults and splinter groups will, 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 will come up in the context of the local church uh, from within us and, and even around us. And so if we don't know who we are, if we don't know what we believe, we may very well get caught up in a cult or heresy. Some kind of false teaching leading to deception. And so he, and that is Satan, and, and, and all in the kingdom of darkness, will make every effort to lead people astray. People therefore need to know, churches need to know, uh, denominations, unions of churches need to know what they believe. Satan is the find, he's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's also identified as an angel of light, pretending to be among us and one of us, but fueling the fires of error and division and deception. So we people can be deceived, and therefore we stand in need of every and any aid to keep us from being led astray by diverse and strange teaching. Again, a sermon I preached recently from the book of Hebrews. But moving on, I want to add here, uh, why do we need a statement of faith? Well, a statement of faith is a tool. It's a tool that we use to keep sharpening each other in the knowledge and understanding of the truth of God. We wrestle with the scriptures, reaching conclusions, iron, sharpening iron, uh, talking, debating, but finally concluding. 
Statements of faith also hold us accountable to each other. When someone or even a group denies, for example, the physical resurrection of Jesus, when our statement of faith that unites us together declares that the physical resurrection of Jesus is true, we know that that person is now out of step, no longer in harmony with us, in fellowship and and partnership. That person may well be straying, uh, is straying from the truth of God, and who knows where that person will end up deviating from revealed truth and in spiritual need. I want to highlight this next point in terms of the need of a statement of faith, and my penny's worth in experience in the Baptist Union family. A huge benefit of a statement of faith around which people gather, whether that be a local church or even a denomination, is that it leads to high levels of trust. Trust is so important in the cooperation, in the fellowship, and the unity of any body. I'm convinced that adherence to a statement of faith, a good statement of faith, leads to meaningful partnerships and meaningful relationships, meaningful associations. Take that back into other relationships. Think of marriage. I know in my own context, I've taught many couples preparing for marriage, various uh, aspects of that kind of preparation. But one lesson I always seek to raise. I remind couples, I urge on couples that within their context, husband and wife, the importance of trust and respect. If a husband, if a husband doesn't trust his wife or the wife doesn't trust the husband, the relationship will suffer. And that happens in the broader context of the local church. If members do not trust fellow members, suspicious of what they're promoting or what they're believing or not believing, relationships suffer. Sadly, levels of trust in the Baptist Union, certainly amongst many pastors at the moment, is very low. Very, very low. I would even say in many instances non-existent. And it is clearly evident. There's, there's evidence of this lack of trust amongst Baptist pastors. Why? Why do I say that? Well, cooperation. Look, at, look and see what's happening on the ground. Cooperation is limited to groups of like-mindedness. And financial giving is at its lowest, lowest ebb. I remember when I was a young Christian, first converted and uh, visited meetings at the, uh, what was then called the Baptist, uh, the, yeah, I think it was the Baptist Northern Association and even the Baptist Union. The Baptist Union was well off. People were investing. Churches were giving. Ministry was happening. We had church planters that were planting churches. People were sent out on missions. Very little happening at the moment because there just isn't any money. Because people aren't giving money because they don't know what the Baptist Union stands for. Statements of faith also necessary to help us think through and respond to challenges that keep coming from the world around us. The world is not static, it's dynamic. 
And let's not forget that we live in this context of the kingdom of darkness where Satan is at work. And again and again, challenges will be presented to the church. The truth of God will be challenged. 20 years ago, I remember at an assembly uh, debating a definition of marriage between a natural man and a natural woman. And there were many in that particular debate who were saying, why are we doing this? It will never happen that marriage would ever be under uh, any kind of challenge or scrutiny. 20 years later, 20 years later, the tables have turned. And we know. Marriage is now wanting, many people are wanting to define marriage as that which takes place between two men or two women. We have to respond. We have to speak out and be bold about what God has revealed. Today you're on the wrong side of history if you oppose same-sex marriage. And so we constantly need to go back to the Bible to test the challenges that keep coming. Well, thirdly, I want to consider, my question is, what are some of the objections to doctrinal precision? And I have a couple that I'm going to mention. Some of these I heard yesterday at this webinar that we attended. It is said by those who prefer the lowest common denominator approach that we must focus on mission. Let's not get distracted by doctrine. Really? That puzzles me. How, how on earth, how on earth do you do missions and missions involve delivering a message and surely the message needs content? Yes? I think it's, it's foolish. And if I may be so bold as to say stupid, to think you can do missions, that you can reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ without substantial content to that message? As I understand the Bible, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Truth, propositional truth, the revelation of God. Not to forget that when Jesus instructed his disciples just before he ascended in making disciples of the nations, what did he add? Teaching them to obey or to observe all things I have commanded. Doctrinal content, the substance of scripture ought to be taught to people. And we, we need to know what we believe, enabling us to teach. If, if you're a teacher and you don't even know what you're supposed to be teaching, how can you be a teacher? Is it not Paul that urged Timothy? The verse I read at the beginning, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourselves and your hearers. In other words, the content of doctrinal precision has direct bearing on your own soul safety as well as the soul safety of your hearers. To my simple mind, that verse that I just read says that if you teach rubbish or bring a message with no content, your hearers may end up in hell. So I don't think you can take this subject lightly. 
It is also advocated that we must avoid controversy in our desire for doctrinal precision because Jesus said we must love each other. This is another objection. Well, think about what that statement is saying. Don't get involved in controversy and be open-handed and open-armed to, to error and falsehood and lies and accept everybody and anything. And I'm so glad in my marriage to Carol, nearly 40 years this year, that love in our marriage in the context is in the context of truthfulness. How can you have a loving, meaningful relationship in the midst of duplicity and lies and falsehood. God so loved the world. Absolutely agree. True. But at no point in time, and you can read the Old Testament, where we see lots of response from the Father against error and, and, and false teaching and hypocrisy and lies and sin. Or if you go to the New Testament and we the Son... And we see the Son, the Lord Jesus, does not hold back in confronting error. Boldly confronts error and hypocrisy and lies. An often quoted proverb clarifies the issue for me. Proverbs 27 verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I never ever want to be guilty of pretending all is well with somebody's soul with error that and false teaching that they might be deceived in and one day they hear those words away from me you evil doer that's not love that's not love the kisses of an enemy are profuse the th thirdly the most popular used objection to doctrinal precision is reference to Jesus high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 where it is said and quoted and quoted and quoted and quoted and quoted again and again and again, did Jesus not pray for the unity of believers? Of course he did. Of course he did. That is wonderful truth. So pleased that Jesus is praying for the unity of believers. But please read the context. Let me read it to you. John chapter 17 verse 20. Jesus had been praying for his small group of disciples, the apostles. And then he goes on in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, those gathered around him, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Through the revelation of God to them, the teaching of Jesus to them. Through their word. Then he goes on in verse 21. That they may all be one. Just as you father are in me. And I in you. That they all may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is not just. Let's all hold hands. And pretend we're a happy family. Outside of the context. Of receiving the word of God. Jesus is praying for those who believed through there the disciples' word that he, Jesus, had taught them. In that same prayer, let me go on. This is uh, an amazing omission. I don't know if this is not seen. Verse 17, again in the prayer, Jesus praying, sanctify them in the truth. Truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Folk, don't believe the lie that people come up and say, oh, Jesus prayed for unity and let's not talk about doctrine and truth and precision in doctrine. That's a lie of the devil. It's deception. It's leading people astray. It's leading people into hell. Number four, another objection is that we should avoid words in statements of faith that do not appear in the Bible. And the particular example used yesterday was uh, let's not use the word inerrancy because the word inerrancy of Scripture does not appear in the Bible. So when we, we want to defend and define doctrinal position in terms of the special nature of the Word of God, uh, it, it is argued that we ought to accept it as without error, inerrant. It's a non-biblical word, we are told, and it should be avoided. Well, I want to ask my esteemed colleagues, what about the doctrine of the Trinity? Have you ever come across that word in the Bible? Have you ever come across the word deity, the deity of Jesus? Neither of those words are in the Bible. But those words were used to describe a comprehensive study of Scripture regarding the very nature of God, that God is one, that the Father is God, that Jesus is God, and that the Spirit is God. We speak of the Trinity. And may I add, just reading in John 17 about God's Word being truth. Now, I'm no English fundi. I think I got 40-something percent in English when I was in matric. I'm ashamed of that, and I wish I'd done better in English. Isn't inerrant, without error, a synonym for truth or truthful? A very apt word to describe the very nature of this gift that God has given to us, preserved for us, for our benefit down through the years. Well, there's another objection mentioned, and uh, it was also mentioned yesterday in reference to Paul's charge to Timothy, preach the word. Well, again, I don't want to spend too much time in this, but my simple question is, what is the word if it is not defined truth? How can you preach without content? I don't like to listen to preachers who waffle. I want them to preach the Bible. I want them to teach the truth. I want them to teach doctrine. I want to know the truth of God. All that he is revealed. The very first chapter of Timothy, and it is a repeated theme in the letters. Uh, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So back then, there also were those who were trying to sneak in uh, different and diverse teachings that didn't uh, agree with that which the apostles had uh, had been teaching and, and had learned from Jesus. You see, folk, if you're going to avoid a false teacher and false teaching, you better know what the truth is. The statement of faith is just one of those tools helpful in that regard. One final objection, and I'm getting to the end of this. I know I've got to watch my time. Uh, It is said by some, we don't need a statement of faith because after all, we are people of the book. Don't get distracted by statements of faith. 
Well, I wish we were people of the book. Because if we were people of the book, we won't hesitate to, to defend the truth in the book. And that makes sense. It puzzles me. It puzzles me that somebody would say to me that they are uh, a champion of the book, but refuse to get to the nitty-gritty precision of teaching that comes from the book. One last comment and then a conclusion. What is missing in the debate on doctrinal precision? And I hope I'm not guilty of this, and if I am, I really want to come before the Lord and, 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 and repent. This is not just about that group and this group, because at the moment it seems to be that. Which group currently has the upper hand? Those who are more uh, orthodox and, and conservative and, and, and serious about doctrine, or, or those who are more pragmatic and soft on doctrine? Which, which group has the upper hand? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong issue. My perception, and it may be because the, 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 the factor that I'm going to raise is assumed, but, but we need to not just assume it. We need to say it. What does God want in this regard? When we get to doctrinal precision and discussing the difficult passages and and, and, and some of the, the hard issues in the Bible. What, what, all scripture is God breathed? Has he given some of it for us to ignore or to avoid or to uh, pretend doesn't exist? What does God want? Is it possible to make a case for doctrinal sloppiness as being acceptable to God? I don't think it can. Is it possible to tolerate blatant error and believe that this does not grieve the Spirit of God? Surely not. Is it possible to be a champion against doctrine? This is the, the part that has baffled me for all my years in ministry. Is it possible to be a champion against doctrinal precision and really believe that that is honoring God? Why is it? that those who simply want to define doctrine and speak about doctrine and identify who we are in doctrinal definition, why are we pushed to the edges? Something is horribly wrong. Surely every believer, every pastor, every Christian, every church should be making every effort to preserve and to promote and to pursue truth and fight with all our might against heresy and, and error and doctrinal sloppiness. And so my challenge in closing, what are we to do? What are we to be? Should we be those who tell people what they want to hear? Don't worry about what the Bible says too much. Or tell them what keeps them happy and comfortable. Is that, is that our calling? Just so that they feel good and they may join us and our church becomes bigger? Pragmatically? Making sense? Or should we be caring shepherds? I thought of an illustration and 
Uh, I'm going to share it. It was about two years ago. We were looking for a car for Jamie. She got her license and was going to university and was needing transport. So we were looking for a cheap second-hand car. And so we did the rounds. And on this particular occasion, I was looking at this car. And this guy was telling me, man, this is a good car. Just look how nice it looks. And uh, uh, it has low mileage. And it, it is a, uh, the mechanics are in sound condition. And, and everything works. And, and, and believe me, you can really use and trust this car as an excellent vehicle. Well, I bought the car stupidly. Stupidly. Didn't do my homework. Discovered afterwards that the car had been in a terrible accident and it had putty all over the place. And now two years later, the putty is all cracking up and, 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 and falling off. Discovered afterwards, he said to me that oh, I just had a little hole in the exhaust. Oh, my word, I had to spend money on an entire exhaust system. Then I discovered that uh, took it for a service and, and the air conditioner was falling out the front of the car. Had to have that repaired. And at the end of the day, the car cost us so much money for actually rubbish. And my point is this. A second-hand car salesman, not all of them, some are fantastic, but mostly second-hand people who sell second-hand rubbish cars will tell you it has low mileage when in reality it has a high mileage. It will tell you that the bodywork is good meanwhile it's been in an accident. It will tell you that the engine is good or the gearbox is fine, but they put banana skins to uh, quieten the noise in the differential. Do you, get, do you get the idea? Now, now I ask the question. Do you want pastors to be like second-hand car salesmen simply selling a product at any cost? Or do you want them to be shepherds of souls? Well, I've, I've made my choice. And even going forward, I don't know where I will stand in coming years with the Baptist Union, but doctrinal precision is not something I am prepared to compromise on and will continue to speak up and speak out against those who accommodate and are soft toward error. May God help us, and even as a church, may God help us to do that which is pleasing to him. And so, Lord, I do pray uh, that this discussion tonight would spark off discussion amongst our members and that each one of us would see something of the seriousness of truth as opposed to error, the kingdom of light as opposed to the kingdom of darkness against Jesus who said he is the way, the truth and the life against Satan who is the father of of lies. And so help us, Lord, to be faithful stewards, ambassadors of Christ Jesus, unashamed that you may be exalted and glorified, and that the church be edified as we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.